Hi everyone, welcome to episode two of our Doorways to Sustainable Schools podcast. My name is Martin Crabb, I'm a geography teacher at Glebe School. The idea of this podcast is to look at practical ways that schools can engage in London Climate Action Week. In each episode, I will focus on one person or group in London who I admire because of the amazing things that they are doing to help London schools become more sustainable places. I'm hoping that they can help and inspire my school, Glebe School, with our own project, Proyecto Peru, but I also hope it will be useful to other schools in London too. Today, I'm on location in Sunnyside Gardens in Hillrise, an area between Crouch End and Archway, North London and I'm talking to the wonderful Anna Porch, the Sunnyside Gardens Manager. I have been involved with schools and environmental and sustainability education for a very long time. Um, I started as an education officer at the Monkey Sanctuary. The Monkey Sanctuary? What's that? It's a rescue monkey centre in Lewin, Cornwall. And um, I also managed Paddington Farm Trust for the children uh, who worked with social workers, had social worker support go on holiday in Somerset, nice. uh, Ecoactive, I did um, recycling workshops mainly then, they do a wide range of sustainability but solar panels and recycling of workshops, I worked for Hackney Council organising recycling bins for schools, uh, I ran Leaf London Environmental Educators Forum which is just such a gift of a job because mm. you get to meet just all so many of the greatest environmental educators in London that's your job is to network and train with them and it's just a gift Um, and then also uh, Croydon Council putting in solar panels for schools Uh, and then also eco schools also yeah coordinated eco schools for England so uh, with Morgan Phillips as my manager, so yeah. The legend who is? The legend who is Morgan Phillips, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I just worked in environmental and sustainability education directly with schools for a really, really, really long and time. something else that um, you did that was no small feat, empty classroom day? I did, I was, uh, I ran empty classroom day as a volunteer for four years with the help of Chris, who's recording this for us, and also Zoe before, who, um, Zoe Slade, who also did a great job before, and then Chris, so yeah. Uh, and you didn't I, just run it, Anna, you came up with the idea. I mentioned this in the previous episode, <laughs> so don't just say run it, I think, you know. So I was on a table with environmental, uh, with educators who worked in outdoor settings with kids, uh, uh, adventure playgrounds, parks, natural play centres, all that kind of thing, and Tim Gill had just come yeah. out with his report. Sowing the seeds. So was it sowing the yeah. seeds, or was it the one before, basically, that said oh. children in London never get outside? Ah, uh, maybe, yeah. It was really bleak, and so we were sitting around, you put on a lovely event for London Sustainable. In City Hall, top floor, C- City, great views. Yeah, and, uh, but the, on my table, the grounds and gardens group which i think i was partly on just because no one else was there to share it i was saying we were feeling pretty depressed this report was uh, somewhat bleak and um your brother did the great workshop yeah. to try and come up with solutions and shout out to tony absolutely uh and we had this i just sort of had a realization that though the amount that london children are playing outside it has massively decreased I was on a table with 20 people who all day, every day, facilitate and see hundreds and hundreds of children yeah. playing outside um, in their roles. And that we, maybe instead of just having such bad news stories, we needed a day to celebrate. And yeah. 
so much environmental education I think is about remembering everyone knows it's great to go outside everyone knows it's great to have a bit of community everyone knows it's great to have the odd shared meal we just need to re be reminded of those things and uh, so that's where empty classroom day as it was originally called came out and it's now outdoor classroom day and it's all around the world yeah that was uh yeah amazing and that from that small acorn as they say I and mean, it's just a massive project now as well yeah i mean i think that the things that i i learned is it's worth coming up with 200 ideas this was directly from tony yeah try to come up with 200 ideas not one and you'll, something will just bounce out and yeah. um at the end of the session no one else wanted to do it but i thought that's got legs and the other thing is when you're pushing the right project, it, the energy comes to you. It yeah. doubles all the time exponentially. You're not pushing it, whereas trying to get schools at that point to take funding to get solar panels or insulation, mm. be given the money. They didn't want it. You had to push, push, push. Where with outdoor classroom day, it just grew by itself. So there's something about um, when you've got the right project, it has its own energy. And yeah when you find one of those projects, it's really worth pushing on them because not many do. Yeah, no, I agree. And to, I'm just going to circle back, as Chris Robson says, um, to um, something you mentioned earlier, that we, we knew each other then, and that was in 2011. We so knew why each don't other you tell earlier. Us, yeah, tell we us how we We knew each met. other earlier. Well, in a, a, a government building that doesn't hold... Was knocked down. ...doesn't exist anymore, which was the Government Office for London. That's Goal. Right. Yeah. Goal? Goal, yeah, Government uh, And uh, at that point, there were... They had officers, they had a small team, I think two or three people, um, running it and every local authority had a goal officer uh no sustainable, sustainable schools, schools officer, officer yeah. and um they had network and training work and there was also a government target that every school had to be sustainable by 2020 um and they had regular <laughs> meetings are we there yet <laughs> well no we're not are we um and that's um no i, I don't think we are um I don't know, we, do we want to reflect on why yeah, we didn't get there? Why not? Well, what I, do you think? Well, the obvious answer is there's a change in administration, the government direction changed. Yeah. So uh, what at that time to me, so I tried to get to those meetings. I think I was working for Ecoactive at the time. Yeah, I think so. It was very unusual for an NGO person to show up at these meetings. I sort of went along on my own time because I thought it was a good way to meet schools and find out stuff. Um, but it seemed that that government structure wasn't going away anywhere. It seemed like there was a target and everyone was working slowly. Some being kicking and screaming, some forging ahead. Ofsted were getting interested, Ofsted. head teachers were getting yeah, interested. It just felt like that was yeah. the direction. So whether we do it well enough was the concern. Mm. I don't think it occurred to me that that structure would just disappear. Yeah. I don't think I, at that later on I started to get anxious, but when I met you and there mm. chatting, I just, and I definitely saw that my role was to do as good a job as possible yeah. in my role, helping uh, kids with solar paneling workshops, teaching schools about recycling. I didn't think what I think now, what I, I guess I feel that I've learned from it is that there, there is always a campaigning element. There's always a side where you have to try and get as many people involved as possible. You can't just ever in this, this, environmental sustainability education you can't really just do your job you have to always have a campaigning element and i don't think i realized that then i, I was it's too big an issue for a small group to manage everybody needs to be involved 
that is definitely true, but also any structure that you might rely on to get the work okay. done yep. can also just... Disappear. Well, disappear almost overnight. Yeah. I mean, I went to the last London uh, uh, Sustainable... What was it? London Schools Environment Awards. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The first day of Boris's job as yeah. mayor. And uh, he, he cancelled it the next day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it can... The whole system... Um, it wasn't just London Schools Environment, LSSF, London yeah. Sustainable Schools. It was all the pan-London activities were yeah. run through. And they worked particularly with local, uh, like, um, government, uh, local government officers. So if you were, I don't know, a street maintenance guy in Haringey, you would be yeah. networked and trained with all the... Well, now you're not. Yeah. So all the other street maintenance guys. it was very connected wasn't it very yeah. like and sustainable schools i've said this in the previous podcast had a kind of holistic approach to it didn't yeah. it? And it and it they did try and practice that and i know that we've lost that um to some extent but would you say there's been anything so we've lost the sort of more formal structure of the um government office for london and the, the government background in sort of 2011 we had the relaunch event and we've tried to regroup and there's there's definitely been a change and we you know i mentioned before that we're a group of volunteers and we, we earn no money doing this we I, do it in I our own time for me but i've been so i was what, working in london school. yeah well i've been working in london schools since ecoactive which was a very very long time mm. ago and at that point we had funding from hackney council to deliver free workshops and training yeah and we had to spend two days of every five on the phone begging schools to let yeah. us come in and yeah. give them free curriculum-linked workshops and free resources. And yeah. free. They were not interested. Yeah. Whereas now, even though there's... So I'd say the public interest in the sector has completely transformed. The outdoor education aspect, when we started, it was a lot about waste and solar panels yes. and yes. measuring your energy meter and getting in a recycling bin. And there was always an outdoor element, but it was sort of considered a nice extra. Whereas yeah. now, I think with forest schools, really, there has been a complete shift. And yeah. I'd say it's front and centre of yeah. all environmental and even sustainability education is and around. I, I don't dismiss Outdoor Classroom Day. I think the narrative around Outdoor Classroom Day is, is spread, has spread wide, widely, not just in London, but across the world. But, so definitely, but people yeah, take, it, take it almost, sorry for interrupting, but people take it almost for granted that it's a good thing to do. But back in 2010, it, it was not, taken for granted it, no, you know geography teachers may argue to do field work outside of the classroom and but the odd biology teacher but it wasn't a, a done i mean thing. definitely that's shifted as well who's in the network and who's interested in these kind of things there's a much wider range of teachers mm. you're right i mean my background's biology your background's geography that was it right yeah. it was like geography teachers the odd biology teacher the odd art teacher yeah yeah there was nobody else interested it was those groups, whereas now I, I wouldn't be surprised if I met a physicist or no, an English literature exactly. teacher. Or just... And you look at the Outdoor Classroom Day website as an example, to go back to that, and there are lesson plans for all subjects and teach. You look at their Twitter feed and there's amazing lessons going on across all subjects. And it, it, it's that bit's been inspiring. It's, yeah, it, it's much broader in society as a whole. Mm. Uh, there's a lot more interest across... Uh, that so yeah no I'd say that's been a massive positive thing and I also think I mean the way outdoor education has been prioritized is so important to say is 
really positive step. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, yeah, I don't know. People just thought it was a dying beast, I mm. think, when we started off. They were like, oh, I love that. But I don't think. Mm. And now it, it, it's really, I think, a lot is just common, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, I think my kids should learn out. It's almost the outdoor learning is almost like the, the hub where we can start again to rebuild sustainable schools concept. And what's nice with something like Outdoor Classroom Day was it was such an easy win. It's taking yeah. one class out for one lesson. Yeah. So a teacher didn't need to get senior management support. So even though their school did no outdoor learning, learning they'd go and get a bunch of coloured chalk and go out into the playground and draw yeah, what they'd like to see there. It was so easy to do. You know, one hour, do your maths homework on the on the yeah. concrete. Or it was just such easy activities. Yeah. You can just go outside and do it. And I think that's something that helped as well. Because I think there was also more of a sense of a mystique like if you went to, I don't know, Gordonstone yeah. and you swam in the sea every day and you did, <laughs> then of course you did outdoor learning, it's important. But if you, you know, were at school, I, I worked a lot in either Croydon or Hackney yeah. with no play, very little playground, there was no way. Whereas yeah. one of the great things when we started with uh, outdoor classroom day was just you got photos from little tiny tarmac schools yeah. full of kids with hula hoops or drawing or counting or doing their Yeah, poems. it was just get outside, wasn't it? it, it there was yeah. no other no other expectation, just leave your classroom. That's yeah. why you, you, you initially called it empty classroom, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Just leave the classroom, go outside. It wasn't saying you had to have the great nature garden or a no. brilliant vegetable garden, just get outside. Get out there. Outside the school building into yeah. whatever grounds you've got. And, and also doing it for that one day, like you say, helped, I think, because obviously the idea was you wanted people to be out as much as possible, but but just it, it meant that anyone could say, come on, let me go out just for one hour, yeah, yeah. for one lesson and just go out. And, and the research has shown that a lot of the schools who did that have done more since they got going. Yeah. I, so that's really amazing, as the research shows all over the world that once they start, they do more. So it is... Again, that great remembering of what's important, we all know. And so talking out. of remembering and bringing us back to where we are now, Anna, why, um, tell us where we're sitting now. What place we have I come to visit you in? sitting in Sunnyside Community Gardens, which is what I now manage. I have had a shift of direction from schools uh, to managing a community garden. And it was actually when I was doing all the stuff online for Outdoor Classroom Day, I was walking here very early one morning and a woman tapped me on the shoulder and said, have you seen there's a heron there over in the pond? And my first instinct was, no, I've got to go and sit in an office and tell people all about how important it is to go outside. Don't disturb me. <laughs> I didn't say that, but that's what sort of flashed through me. And I just thought, I am ridiculous. There's this beautiful bird right next to me in this tiny space. That is just remarkable. Like... What am I doing? And um, I worked at one point uh, as a schools officer for London Wildlife Trust. And I think there's such a special thing in urban environments about urban green spaces. Yeah. It is wonderful to go to a national park, to go to a beach, to go somewhere where you're in awe of nature. But I think it's really important to respect and enjoy that tiny little patch of green. It's like the Nas London National Park City concept as well, isn't it? And I think yeah. that's what's so beautiful about that, yeah. that it's valuing the outdoor space in London and the people that live in London and as well but yeah yeah absolutely but there's something precious about that little municipal patch of grass next to your block of flats it's so easy to overlook it but actually there will be different types of grasses there'll be different flowers even if it's very uh, not that rich there'll be daisies there'll mm. be dandelions which you can make a wish on 
you know, just in a space and just celebrating those small pieces and was something that I had grown in me a sense that they were very important. So when Yvonne, who managed this garden before, said, I'm retiring, you don't want to take over, do you? <laughs> I thought, you know what, it's a bit of a shift sure. for yeah. me. But actually, if I, what I've really come to realise is how important these little patches are. So who's it important to? Well, this area is surrounded by blocks of flats all the way around uh, at estates. There's, uh, we're bordering, well, it depends how you count, three or five estates, depending exactly how you count them. And so this garden was uh, campaigned for over 40 years ago right. for people who live in nearby flats and have, don't have or have very small gardens. And so that's what you know, Sunnyside is about. Um, You've got a photo we can put on the Instagram Absolutely. Site, and obviously coming from my background, <clears throat> when I first started, somebody came and gave me this historic newsletter and I printed out a bunch of copies so we could have it around. And the first thing you notice, it's about how Sunnyside started is that in every picture it's a bunch of kids mm. and you really notice the difference and that's yeah. something we wanted to bring back. Um, my first instinct of course, my background is right, get an education officer in, do yeah, workshops. Yeah. <laughs> but we also don't know, just thought of that there needs to be something a bit more subtle. It, it, it's very much a, a massive back garden for local people. It's that's a what lo we like lovely to do. way to explain it. Yeah, and um, we just thought Basically, one of the families came and said, oh, you know what was great? So it was such an urban site. We used to have a building. It got burnt down twice. So <laughs> you might notice that the toilet box just <laughs> the only bit remaining of the building that got burnt down twice. And one of the families who used the garden said, what was nice when the building was here is you could gate off all this little bit, a little bit of Sunnyside. Right. And then your kids could run around oh, nice. in a garden. And we thought, that's a nice idea. And... Um, so I was like, God, that's a lovely thing. And we, we didn't have the budget for that. And then luckily the Morris Charitable Foundation contacted mm -hmm. us and they'd had a memorial garden in a residential centre for people with special needs in Islington that was getting closed down and their garden was getting bulldozed and rebuilt on. And they really wanted another one. So we said, well, actually, we want to make a family garden. And that's exactly what they wanted so we created a garden which isn't a playground but is a family garden so it's you've seen it it's got gates all the way around so you can close it there's a lovely carved bench in there yeah there's loads of flowers the kids can sort of run on and trample no ideally not but you know and uh, <laughs> so uh, families and the local estate so can i just pick on that because you know, I'm from a school uh, in West Wickham and we've got a wooded area that we're doing our project Proyecto Peru um, in. And we, it, it's that sort of compromise, isn't it, about whether you want kids to run around and climb the trees, but you also want to develop nature. How do you manage that here? Because that's... Well, so unusually for a community garden uh, um, is uh, there's the Meanwell Garden, West London, and ours is that we are open access. So we actually can't right. control people running yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. So it's open 24 seven. Yeah. Most community gardens is about 140 in London. Yeah. Uh, I recently was trying to look for another open access one. So I went round and I started in North London where we are and I went all the way round and it wasn't until I got to meanwhile in sort of Northwestish London that I found another open access. If you were starting a community garden and you don't want your buildings burnt down and your plants dug up all the time <laughs> <laughs> and problems with police, I recommend you have closed and don't let people in. But that's definitely not Sunnyside's tradition. It's open all the time. But there's, that's a lovely um, 
idea, isn't it? It's a lovely concept. It's not unlike, um, I know um, Mrs. Francis at my school, she's an amazing gardener at my school, and uh, she has a, a kind of principle that it doesn't matter, you know, that we work with special needs children and sometimes things aren't going to work. We're going to, you know, they're going to stand on the new carrots or something, but you just start again. It's, it's that kind of, and it sounds so like Sunnyside, Sunnyside has, a, has similar... a really long history of therapeutic horticulture. Right. Um, so um, a lot of our great uh, volunteer gardeners have special needs. Uh, so, and always have done. So that's a big part of Sunnyside. Um, we do try and encourage people to look after course, it. We're there and people are trampling, hey, don't trample. And <laughs> people will come and meet me in the street and go, oh, I saw someone not picking up their dog poo and I told them off. Or I saw someone pulling up a plant, I told them off. And, oh, thank you. Don't get yourself into a fight. But yes, thank you. Good. Uh, there's a real sense of ownership of Sunnyside around here and people will share that with you. And what, how do you think that's come? Well, how's that developed? Because you sense that here. People, I've known, while we've been here, people have been coming over and waving at you, kids coming, shouting at you in, in a nice way. Yeah, yeah. So that's come from something. It feels like a place to me that when you walk in, it feels special. Like this idea you say for back garden. I know um, me and um, Mrs. Voller at school, when we're doing this project on Proyecto Peru, we've been, we're very keen to make it feel like it's a, um, a, a place that, students all feel guardians of and val they value and they, they, they want to look after. So how have you, uh, how's I, that developed here, would you say? I think it was founded by the community. They had a massive campaign. Uh, originally, it, there was a workhouse here and it got all bombed during the war. And when the council started building housing to replace it, um, an old lady told me it was just rubble here, just all rubble, rubble, rubble. I think it was the building, like the site office was here. And when they finished, I think it was that block at that estate over there, Elthorn, uh, there was a local campaign to have a community garden. They really right, wanted a community right. garden. So it was founded by a community garden. Ashmount Primary School came and helped plant it all up. It's very community. So one of the things you get people come here and say, oh, isn't this where the workhouse was? My grandmother was brought up there or great grandmother, people doing family heritage. People say, oh, I planted it up when I was a kid. So it's just been in the heart of the community for yeah. so long. And then they successfully campaigned for Elthorn Park, so, which is the lovely park next door. Yeah. So um, uh, it's also because the social housing here is all, a lot of it's, almost all of it's permanent. So people have lived here a long time and they've got to know it, but it helps having lots of volunteers here. Yeah. Um, opening it up a bit, it used to be a bit sort of shut, uh, not so dark that people didn't see, couldn't see in uh, because there was too much weeds growing. So having lots of volunteers and keeping it more visible, we have people come all the time and say, oh, I've lived here 10 years, I never came in before. So getting loads of volunteers in helps and that is, um, that's part of it too, trying to yeah. involve everybody. Brilliant, and, and at lunch, I should just say, we, we, Chris and I arrived to the most incredible vegetable moussaka, <laughs> fresh coffee, water, <laughs> then fruit salad. I mean, is this standard for yeah. all your volunteers? Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, we always have a great lunch. Uh, people contribute stuff and we make stuff. Um, actually, part of the work we did, I don't know if you remember, way back in the beginning, there was a Healthy Schools initiative yes, do. Yeah, yeah. with like Jamie Oliver yeah, and yeah. stuff. And one of Food the activities we had like to that. do is we went to a big meeting. I think everyone was there. It was an enormous yeah. meeting somewhere in London. and. Um, I'd really noticed that our food culture was insane. Just around that time, my friend uh, 
wanted to practice her Turkish. Uh, her dad was Turkish. She spoke pretty good Turkish, but it wasn't fluent. Mm. And uh, she went to the local shop and said, oh, you know, any chance of me practicing my Turkish? Do you know anyone? And they said, oh, well, you know, this lady just works in the back in the kitchen. Why don't you just go and chat to her and help her cook? Brilliant. So she did that. And what she said was that everybody who worked in the shop got a great lunch. All the delivery men got a coffee and a pastry. Wow. It was just there. And she said to them, oh, this is, she said to the woman, well, how come you do this? And she's like, I'm paid. It's my job. And she said to the manager, why do you do it? He said, well, how else will we eat healthy food? <laughs> he said, I'm sure every shop in London has a kitchen at the back. And she was thinking to herself, no, <laughs> it's not. Weird. That's brilliant. I mean, it's funny because um, with our Proyecto Peru project, we've right from the get go introduced food into it. And we had a, a big bank, Peruvian banquet down in the wild mm. area. And, and we met a guy who ran a Peruvian cafe, Martin Morales. Um, and he talked to us about his love for Peru, where he came from, but also London and the, how he's trying to link the two mm. through food. And, and food is such a, a great um, way to get communities together, isn't it? And it's, uh, you know, this, this podcast is called Doorways and it's about, it doesn't matter, that old idea, but it doesn't matter how you get involved with getting outside the classroom or with sustainability, just get involved. But food is a really good way to get involved, isn't it's it? It's a great way to build community. It's a great way to say thank you to volunteers. Yeah. Uh, it's a great way uh, you know, to combat isolation. And it's also a way to be healthy, just mm. to make it a cornerstone. I mean, I think at that meeting, we all got polystyrene ready-made sandwiches. This meeting about yeah. why food culture is wrong. <laughs> they had all these sandwiches and polystyrene. And uh, the schools at that point had contracts. So they were all we were at the turkey, start of a journey, turkey yeah. twizzlers. And, you know, that's become the stereotype. But there was really... Um, yeah, it was very odd food culture and we had to make a, um, a, a plea or a, a promise of something we'd do. And I, I, I made my promise, everyone in the room had to write it down, that I would try and always provide healthy meals. And I have done in all the groups I've done since, including Sunnyside. That's great. And I think, to be honest, it's just made me think, you know, I was saying about this project, Proyecto Peru, and we've, we've probably had a... a it's not been a deliberate policy to have food as part of it. We, we've done food events, but I think listening to you makes me feel it should be deliberate. It should be something we value from the get-go because the refuge we link with in Peru, they have a kitchen garden, they grow. We, we've already started to share. We're lab I said in the last podcast, labelling our plants in Spanish and English, our vegetables. Oh, lovely. And we want them to do the same there. But I think, yeah, it should. we should have it front and centre, you know. It's... Um, should it just be something that we do naturally? Maybe, if you have maybe. a group of people for a day, you have a healthy lunch for them. It's just part of life. That's part of life. And yeah. definitely for some of our volunteers, they come here to combat isolation. And you can work in a garden with someone all day, but it's not the same as sitting down yeah. for lunch. And that's really where the conversation comes. Well, it just or, shows if we, if Chris and I had come here and just started interviewing you, we wouldn't have met all the brilliant volunteers. volunteers. And, and yeah, and we learned some great stories, st stories about COVID and furloughing, <laughs> and, but really important. And it just reminds you that the issues people are going with uh, during this time. Especially an area around here where a lot of people have been sick and a lot of people, yeah. you know, a lot of people, I know someone who's died and, you know, wow. that's just... Um, I was going to say, how has, so you've you just gone on to it, but um, how has Sunnyside been affected by COVID, good or bad? So the thing that's really sad is we used to be totally open up 
and uh, lots of members of the communities would come for a chat and also uh, Denise is our wonderful care worker who works with people who are more disabled, Ian would come and work with her on a one-to-one basis and join in. And it's really not the same without them there painting or, you know, just now you saw, I think it was Veronica watering all the flowers and yeah. she wouldn't have had to do that because Denise and Ian would have been onto it. And it, it really doesn't feel the same. We don't have, we used to often have a lot of older people come and have cups of tea outside. So we shut down totally with no volunteers here for a long time. And then just gradually we brought it back. Luckily, one of our trustees was a doctor and he has managed to create a social distancing protocol. Brilliant. And um, gradually we've got um, you know, people back volunteering uh, and you know, as soon as you turned up, people were getting you to spray your hands yeah. and um, trying to find a way to keep that company element, but also, and the community element, but also do that. But the you were other, saying you're eating eating outside now rather than in yeah, the Yeah, we never go in the porch cabin. Like but that was nice to, on a nice day, I suppose. Oh, yes. No, it's lovely. I mean, we ate outside a lot anyway, but we used to yeah. all be round a table together, yeah, whereas sure. now we're two metres apart on seats. <laughs> I mean, the other thing, though, that happened, which was just wonderful, is that the gardens have been full of children the whole time. Brilliant. I don't know if teachers who teach the children in the estates around here would be aware that even kids who've lived in a flat spent so much of shutdown in the garden, mm. um, uh, in the community garden. That's fantastic. We have wild ducks who use our wildlife <laughs> pond. Uh, um, uh, gosh, what, Betty and Bill. Uh, they have become <laughs> celebrities. I've had kids running up and saying, Bill, Bill and Betty are in the Peggy, Peggy, not Betty. Uh, <laughs> I guess slightly muddled up because frustratingly, the kids have named the little owls on the bench. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're also, they've got the similar... Similar a, names. Yes, yeah, there's a Bill yeah. in one of the owlets. <laughs> so, okay. uh, Peggy and Bill are over in the Peace Garden Pond. I've seen them here. They became celebrities through COVID. Everyone, the main thing people wanted to know is where the ducks were and... It took a, we had to do a lot of explaining it that they were wild animals and not domesticated ducks. And, um, so yeah, it's been really you know wonderful that way. So. And do you think that will continue after COVID? I mean, the playgrounds have opened up now. Will that... Yeah, they opened up on Friday. It's quieter. <laughs> I mean, you've seen a few kids here. Yeah, today, yeah, quite, quite a There's few. There's somebody actually, on their yeah. bike past there, but not as yeah. yeah, not like it was. It was. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, what we hope is that once the novelty of the yeah, playground goes past, they will come back to both. And uh, actually we have, you know, we have some, you know, a cyclist and a, uh, what do you, a little scooterist and someone walking past. Just going past sport. us yeah, now, yeah. that's right. Um, so I, yeah, I'd say, uh, yeah, that we, um, yeah, hopefully this is it. I mean, there's always kids around here, but it's been a lot more. And, uh, you know, one of the families... So do you think, sorry to cut in, but um, you were talking about, you, you're not sure how many schools uh, are aware that this is a local resource. Do you think this could be a well, resource for schools too? Or, I definitely think... I mean, that, maybe not just here, but, you know, I know some, you know, I'm very lucky at my school, we have a big space, green space, but, but a lot of schools don't have that. And we, we've already talked about that with empty classrooms. I think maybe. though, even if your school does have a big green space. So Ashmount School did loads of the planting here yeah. and they have a lovely playground yeah. and garden. But this is something different, something special. Yeah, there's something yeah. nice. Um, we're not like the US, so you can't go into the school playground at the weekends or yeah. after school, which like you can in America, they're open access yeah. playgrounds. Um, 
here you can't so it's a way to introduce children to something that they can go into when they become moody teenagers yeah, or when yeah, they yeah. come back with their own kids you know later life so um and just being part of a community so yeah i think it's definitely there's a real opportunity for schools you don't always have to pay for your coach or you don't always have to travel for an hour i think there can be real benefits to walking across the road to the local park yeah or down. take pride and you back at school you can then do some work in the class about it or compare here to your school grounds and certainly that's what I, there's ideas from sunnyside that i'll take back to our school for our project mm. and you know you would like to think that local kids could could maybe do that yeah with their we've sports. got a young lad called edwin who ideas everything here and what he spots is amazing there's yeah. opportunities for plant and bird id which is really lovely fantastic um yeah you know the, when the parakeets come by there are also other celebrity birds that we have here and uh, i'm thinking that we could like hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. hear one <laughs> just over there um and there's things that we have like our climbing tree that people love to climb on yeah. and that you just won't have in a school playground in quite the same way. So. Yeah, that's right. Or maybe the restrictions of school policy might might prevent that. Yeah, yeah. in quite the same way. So I think there's really uh, a lot just sort of crossing the road and going down the road. So it's a value to obviously to schools without uh, a green or a big green space, but also a value to schools that have it just because it's a local resource and yeah. it's good to see what's in your local area. And I think lots of schools use their local green space <coughs> for sports day. Yeah. Uh, but there's also just the benefit of being out and having a reading yeah. lesson or, you know, with, I, I'm talking to you, I'm definitely preaching to the choir, but um, you're doing your maths lesson outside and doing your science lessons outside. It just adds another element to it. Yeah. So oh, I think it's fantastic, Anna. And this place just feels amazing. I love the fact that we're here and there's, you've got the birds shouting at us and then the buses going past. And it properly feels like a London community garden. <laughs> it's, it really, it's just brilliant. And I mean, and I really kid mean on the tree. That. Yeah, kid <laughs> on the climbing <laughs> tree. Me and Chris have been on there too. Um, so, Anna, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, one of the main reasons is um, we're hoping to provide practical actions for yeah. London Climate Action Week. So, um, Talk to me about climate change and your sort of views about that first. Wow. Um, Just a small topic to throw at you. <laughs> well, it's so overwhelming, isn't it? But I know it? you've got stuff to say. Well, I, I, uh, to sort of, it's so overwhelming. It's so enormous. It's the challenge, really, of our generation. Nothing else is close. Um, and I think uh, it's something for the adults uh, to combat. There's no point teaching the children to combat it because by the time they grow up, it, it's too late. Mm. So. It is something uh, for us to try and work through and do, take action and uh, do about. And I, I feel passionately that it's our responsibilities as the grown-up in the room. And um, I don't know if it's so much, but they used to think in sustainability education, but like, hey, kids, you can solve this when you grow up. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard <laughs> and you're like, mm, it's too late by the time they grow up. <laughs> and also, if you don't want to solve it, why do you think? You know, so it's definitely the challenge of our generation. And puts everything even you know covid into the shadow you could argue covid has come about due to environmental destruction okay um uh because of the wild food markets yeah, yeah. which you know are just being more industrially far, all over the world it's not just china it's no easy. no sure it's sure. all over the world i've heard that um so you know this is just not even a taster it's like a little 
of, of climate change and environmental destruction and we have to work to improve that. And we say, also while Anna's talking to me about climate change, she's got a lovely ladybird just landed on her hair. Like beautiful <laughs> nature. So yeah, um, I do think it's very important. I think what we learned uh, from before when I felt so confident in what to the early 2000s mm. so there was a whole system all schools would be working towards being sustainable there was all this yeah. structure and it kind of we were talking it you know, disappeared mm. overnight I think what my learning from that experience is that, that it's always you always it's always a campaign it's always a campaign's not the words there's always you're always having to there's a What's my word? I'm an activist. You're always yeah. having to engage more people. You're always having... It's too big a job to leave it to a few, I think we said before, isn't That's it? That's a so, lovely way of putting and it. There's lot that, and and I, I'm just constantly amazed when you work with different people. You think you kind of, you know, oh, we're old dogs. Well, I'm an old dog, you're not. Um, but we, we've been around for a bit and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, but, uh, we think we kind of know, but you know, constantly like um, I've, I've mentioned before, like um, I've started this Proyecto Peru project and working with the kids on that, working with the people in Peru and working with some of the teachers like uh, Ladis and Mark and, and they, they have different perspectives and, and we just need to just open everything up and the, the, you know, we, we, we probably do need some structure there and eco schools is a, Good, a great. brilliant yeah. place to find some yeah, structure but, really... but we need new ideas and fresh ideas. And one ideas. of the things that's, I mean, Eco Schools is the world's largest schools program. Yeah, it's incredible. So there's people all over the world working towards it and what I found remarkable is it is very achievable to get your green flag. Yeah. The system has been designed. We just got ours again actually. Yeah, congratulations. About, about three weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, it's, it's been designed so any type of school in the world can achieve yes. it. So it, but what I what was great when I was coordinator is I got to see the applications and what some of the schools do with that basic framework, how far they go, how rich it is, yeah. how profound it is, is truly remarkable. It gives remarkable. you the chance to really go deeper, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, you can start early point. with yeah. your bronze and just yeah. get it and your silver, but there's a real opportunity and so inspiring what people do all around the world in that yeah. programme. Uh, is just remarkable. And it's so important that one of the things we want to do in this podcast is to learn from other people. And Absolutely. It's so important for schools to 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 see what other schools are doing or other people around the world are doing because there's just great ideas. There are there is just amazing stuff and what's they do in some countries with programs and what it's just remarkable yeah. in different schools even you know schools within England there's such yeah. variety of uh, no one's got the perfect way of doing this, but no, we course. need to be and doing it. And it's in your own context. Yeah, and... but you, there's, you can always take a step, I guess. Yeah. So there's always something to do. And yeah, I guess what I wish I'd realised, uh, you know, when that target was in, when we met at that mm. point, is I thought doing the my job. The 2020 target. The 2020, here we are sitting in 2020. Are we, we going to agree a 2030 target now? Well, I mean, that's where it's Or is it, yeah. Is, do I we... mean, part of me feels quite strongly that we should reflect on the fact that been so old as we yeah. <laughs> is that well, I really thought stuff would have changed by 20 yes. and now it, I just, it's just kind of depressing to see it being kicked into 2030 yeah. 2050 and yet the recent reports I'm reading is we've got less than six months to make a massive impact on climate change so there's no point in a way kicking it into the long grass of 2030 that's yeah need to just get on now today yes, so that that brings me straight with that 
six months uh, shock news um, <laughs> that brings me straight to London Climate Action Week. Then, yes. so so what what's your perspective on that? And well, it's always needed, right? And I think the thing that's is that you always have to try and involve as many people as you were saying, bringing in all those different perspectives and try and engage as many people. It, it can't. Um, it can't just be the one the same teacher. old same old yeah who are amazing people yeah. and i've loved working with them there's some of the yeah. coolest people i've loved working with you you've yeah. loved working with me there's some of the greatest people in it, but you have to somehow try and broaden it out yeah. to different people because whatever structure you're using now however great it is however secure it seems it can just be swiped yeah and you can't be moment. you know every it's it's normal when you're running an organization or a project that you feel that yours is the best and you protect it but you can't we we can't be overprotective about our projects we've got to it needs all different ways and people and got to find your own way in haven't you and something that excites you and i think again that's the doorways idea that I, I and we've talked about this before but i believe the projects will be best when you're passionate about the approach to it and and i think you know that if we stick to the same old group it, we, we won't succeed then. but also what the you know the community what excites the community in some communities it will be the food yeah in some schools in their community it'll be the educational elements or the potential employment elements or you were talking about the organization for pre-covid before covid came that it was vast they were going to involve all kinds kinds of sports people um lots of mute different music backgrounds and well there is in london particularly such a incredible creative community so when we're talking about who else to, can you bring in to your project well, you know there's great opportunities for that you know bringing in dancers bringing in musicians yeah, and a different perspective and everyone's concerned about climate change aren't they or majority of people are but to get the their angle their perspective whether it's their youth or their interest or their ability or their ethnicity or whatever it is a different perspective on i mean i think on, that, I, I, mean, the issue. I mean i think yeah the environmental movement has i i'd say failed really to involve as many yeah, people me i mean too. when you said this do you think yeah no it hasn't really reached out the way it needed to and engaged as many people as possible and yeah. um, that's something that we you know we have to um uh make happen yeah i agree i agree okay so anna um you're gonna co-create a lesson plan with me absolutely um, what, what do we want it on what's it gonna happen like i i've got i still think i've dusted the back of my mind the hundreds of activity well, ideas. don't tell don't tell people too much about it we're gonna <laughs> keep it secret but what can you give us a taster about what it well, might I be think on? easy things to go outside has to be my background Brilliant. easy wins activities you can do outside i think that's probably where my uh uh, strength lies is uh, coming up with good ways just to get out. Brilliant. First so, steps for people who are feeling new because we need you. We need the new people in. Okay, so if you're so listening easy, to this going, why am I listening? I don't <laughs> even know what they're all about. What's those words they use? We need you people. We need you But some us. of those easy things that you do outside, when I find you get a bit confident. So for me, you know, I go outside all the time. But when I look back at those things that are trying to attract new people to go outside, I think, why have I stopped doing that? They're amazing. They're yeah. You know, mud kitchens. Why do I don't? Why, why do I do, I do I that? Not, They're why amazing. Why don't I do leaf shadow prints exactly. and drawings anymore? And yeah. No, it's, it, there is. That they are deceptively profound and fun yeah. and easy. That's. I mean, 
Uh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we won't give too many more clues, but that's something to look forward Lovely. to. We'll work on that, and you'll find those in the show mm. notes, and there'll be links to that. Or Lovely. you'll find the lesson plan in the show notes and links on the website too. Brilliant. Um, so the last thing to talk about is you, you're a very wise person. You've been around for a long time. <laughs> Not, uh, not too long, just the right <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> but you've learned a lot and you, you've already talked about the breadth and the depth of your knowledge. So uh, without wanting to pin you down too much, are there any tips you can offer, two or three things that you could offer people, uh, well, schools particularly? Uh, um, Practical steps for climate action. Really. Of course, uh, sign up to Outdoor Classroom Day. Brilliant. And even if you don't want to sign up, which we prefer, everyone prefer, but. Uh, go and nick all their free online resources yeah. and use those they're really inspiring and interesting and, and it's it, signing up it, yeah you don't have to do it but it's great it just helps people keep a record and it's inspiring isn't it when you see the number of yes. schools so yes. it takes two minutes to sign up yes it? absolutely it allows to show that this yeah. project is working and it, it um there's a whole bunch of campaigns uh increasing playtime with governments i think indonesia was the first government was it? to do that i sorry this is a bit yeah, foggy yeah. uh and in response to a campaign with outdoor classroom yeah. day so by showing was that back when it was empty classroom day or was that outdoor no. Classroom day? No, <laughs> that's it when was. it'd gone global that's when it went global that's by it long gone global but there were all these sort of um uh, campaigns uh, that are related um, to try and get children outdoors and enjoying the outdoors yeah. and playing outdoors and learning and the more schools are signed up the more power yeah, it shows exactly. it says look this is something teachers care about you know, you know this is something that you know people are, feel passionately about so um, that's what it helps with it's, it helps the wider campaign so sign up to outdoor classroom day i have to say having been Eco Schools coordinator for England. I have to say, become an Eco Schools. <laughs> and then, last of all, go outside, enjoy, like, do something small, get your class out. Can you do your reading book outside? Can you do your maths lesson? Yeah, just try and get, get some kids outside. So, sign up for Outdoor Classroom Day, become an Eco Schools, and step outside the classroom. Step, always. It's almost what I said in mine as well. But oh, that, involve more people, but, but that's, that's too much. Okay. <laughs> so, there was, um, there were, there was another. People that has to be what we've learned in the last 10 years. Involve, yeah, we so, need to involve more, reach out, see if you can get somebody well, maybe that's, you don't expect yeah, to okay, be involved okay. to come in. So, maybe in your school, if everybody did it in their school, their own little bit, get somebody else to, to get involved. It's, yeah, just involve someone who, who you wouldn't normally expect. It might yeah. turn out they know way more than you, yeah, or it might turn out that they so the idea that everybody's got something valuable to add, yeah, you know, that'd we're, be great. we're not just. But also we need to reach out because however great these schemes are or these campaigns or these programs, and as we've learned, they can just disappear yeah. overnight. And if you haven't found other networks and other key things to get involved in, it's um, a struggle. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for listening to our Doys to Sustainable Schools podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on whatever podcast player you use. If you want to find out more about London Sustainable Schools Forum, London Climate Action Week, Sunnyside Gardens, or any of the other great organisations mentioned in this podcast, you can find them in our show notes or go to www.londonsustainableschools.org. See you in two weeks.